Welcome in to the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pray and Barrick Scopel on the show as always. And on this Monday, it's a Monday where we're going to talk a lot of different topics. We've got some basketball discussion on the men's side, big week from them. Uh, also a huge week coming up this week. The women had a very disappointing loss at home to rival Oregon State. And first, Eric, we need to acknowledge uh, a couple other sports that we don't talk a ton about on uh, the podcast. I think this is the first time we've ever talked about one of them. Um, But we need to acknowledge the fact that there was some pretty historic uh, outcomes from a soccer, women's soccer standpoint and also a softball standpoint Um, Both teams claimed humongous victories for their programs. Uh, The Ducks started things off on the soccer pitch with a 2-1 victory Friday night over number one ranked Stanford. Uh, The first win in program history over Stanford. Um, That in of itself is pretty ridiculous. Since 1997, Uh, Oregon and Stanford have met annually in soccer and the Ducks had never won until Friday night. Just a, I I mean, that alone would be something we should mention on the podcast, but the fact that also Stanford was the number one team in the country and uh, Oregon had only beaten a ranked team as high as number three prior to that. uh, And that came against UCLA back in 2006. Uh, Really, really impressive win from the women's soccer team. Yeah, and, and Stanford women's soccer is is kind of like the the premier program, you know, uh, national champion caliber program year in and year out, and won the national championship in 2019, 2017, 2020. Um, they didn't finish their season, but this was a really big, really really big weekend for a couple of these sports here, and and yeah, for soccer again, Matt's right. I don't ever remember talking soccer. In fact, I, I don't know if we've even like. Come, I don't even know if we've really talked much about women's soccer outside of like podcasts either. I mean, yeah, it's just kind of off our radar. Things. It's kind of off our radar. We focus on football. We focus on men's basketball, women's basketball, softball, especially when it becomes the kind of primary force in town, a little baseball, um, which by the way, uh, Jared Mack, our intern, has done a great job with softball and baseball coverage. Check out coverage from him on duckterritory.com. But soccer is just not something that has really been a primary you know, point of conversation. But hey, when they go out there and they take care of business and knock out a number one rated team in the country, you know, early on in their season, get things started the right way. Um, clearly a talented team. And, and, and look, soccer, I think, is a sport which is growing in popularity. Uh, obviously, there is not opportunity right now to go watch them play. But maybe this is a situation where we see soccer, much like what we've seen with softball, women's basketball in recent years, with kind of the way we've seen those programs go from you know, I want to say niche sports, but to sports where, you know, there were a very, very passionate contingent of fans, but not the largest one. But now after a couple of years of success or more than that for softball and, and, and obviously about close to half a decade for women's basketball, we've seen those sports interests really climb where we see it from a traffic perspective in terms of pages on the site where when those programs are really clicking, yep. you know, they're competitive with a lot of stuff we're putting out there. They're competitive with a, maybe a, a men's basketball team that's not doing well sort of thing. But um, we'll see with soccer. I think it's really exciting just to have another sport take a step there, make a big win, and, and at least make it so we have to at least acknowledge them 
to start the to start the week on the podcast. Um, and then on the diamond, the softball team, they are off to one of the best starts in program history. Second straight year, they are off to a nine and zero start, um, and just the sixth time in program history. And that's be- in part because they beat Utah um, Saturday or Sunday, I should say, and. They won that game seven to two. That was their second game of the day. But earlier in the day, Sunday morning, the Ducks played uh, number one ranked UCLA in Tempe, and they upset the Bruins three to one. A game in which the Ducks got a run in the fourth, a run in the fifth, a run in the sixth to go up three nothing into the top of the seventh, needing three outs. UCLA got one run in that top frame in the seventh inning and then Oregon proceeded to get three outs to end the game. Just another impressive performance from this women's team. And uh, the ducks were number eight going into Sunday with two wins, including one over the number one ranked team. I don't believe the polls have come out yet from the women's side, from a softball perspective, but I imagine they're probably going to jump a couple spots because of those two big wins and more importantly, the number one win uh, over the Bruins. And Eric, uh, we kind of talked about this once um, on the show, maybe a couple of times. You both, we, we both have said it on Twitter that uh, the fan base was overreaction, you know, overload when Oregon chose to, to not match Mike White's contract offer from Texas and let him go to Texas um, people were up in arms about uh, Missy Lombardi and, and didn't think she was going to have this program humming along. And Eric, two years later, uh, I guess three years later now, this team is looking like they are back to being one of, if not the best team in, in the Pac-12, which means you're one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, I, I, and this was a huge, I think this is a really loud win for Missy's program. Yeah. You know, you think about, what a tough couple of years it was to start a program for her, just in terms of getting any momentum. Obviously, the first year you mentioned it, there was, gosh, I don't remember the final tally, but it was close to I think a dozen players leaving the program. It was it was at least close to ten. It might have been more. I mean, it felt it felt it felt like basically the whole team left, and there was some kind of negative publicity about kind of what had transpired. And I think a lot of skepticism, especially when you lose a coach like Mike White, who really at the moment at the time felt like kind of a Kelly Graves. Yeah. Dana Altman, I mean, that kind of caliber of coach in terms of what he had been able to to do for that program and in elevating it. And Lombardi's first year, everyone leaves. They have a, a really tough season. But then last year, they start the year, I think, 22-2. and two, And this year, now they're 9-0. and oh. They've beaten UCLA now twice under her leadership. They actually beat them um, her first year with the Ducks, even though it was a, it was a, a, a difficult season. I don't, you know, it's way early in the season. This game didn't even count towards the Pac-12 standings. This is a non-conference game and a <clears throat> uh, neutral site in Tempe, so this is not like it's, you know, mid, mid, you know, April big time softball matchup kind of thing in terms of the timeline of it and how it impacts things in terms of the conference championship. But like, this is really, really big, and you, you, you kind of, I mean. UCLA started its ace last year's number one, you know, uh, not only not only their number one ranked, you know, pitcher last year, but also um, voted the national pitcher of the year in Megan Toriyama. 
she'd given up only 11 earned runs all of 2020. She gave up three against the Ducks. And on the flip side, Brooke Inez has just been fantastic for Oregon softball. She had 10 strikeouts, one earned run. She's now 4-0 and this season. Um, this is just a team I think you get really excited about. And, and th- this podcast will, of course, be recording when Oregon's playing UCLA for a second time, which is actually going on right now. Yep. Um, Bruins are but, winning that one 4-1. Okay. So it, yeah, maybe, they, it plays out. maybe they split it. But either way, you get a win. That's impressive. That says a lot. And you come away at least knowing that you can not only compete, but you can beat the top team in the country. And you wonder, hey, will this be a, you know, again, as Matt said, if you're the best team in the Pac-12 or one of the three best teams in the Pac-12, you're one of the best teams nationally. And then the Ducks were ranked eighth coming into this. Depend, regardless of what happens in, in the second game against UCLA, I would, I would expect they're going to at least move up a couple of spots because right. that was a loud win and it sets them up, I think, for, hey, maybe a big season. Maybe a big season. We'll see. It's still early. I haven't even played 10 games yet, but, you know, certainly a lot of optimism through this point in the season. Didn't want to devote the entire podcast to women's soccer and softball. Um, we realize a lot of people come here for football, basketball coverage. Uh, and Mondays right now are typically our men's and women's basketball podcast. But it felt like, hey, when you knock off the number one team, you deserve to be discussed. And when two different teams at Oregon do it uh, in a span of 72 hours, we need to talk about it. We need to acknowledge it at least. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more softball as the season progresses and once um, men's and women's basketball seasons have come to a close. Uh, we'll, we'll try and transition some more talk uh, from softball and also some baseball possibly onto the show. Um, but let's get back to what we are, what is our bread and butter right now. And that is men's and women's hoops. Um, the women, they have concluded their regular season with a Sunday afternoon game against their rival Oregon state. And one Eric that, you get the feeling that, boy, you wish you just maybe didn't even play this game because they lose at home to the Beavers 77 to 88. Beavers win this game by 11 points. The Ducks finish the regular season with a 13 and 7 regular season record, 10 and 7 in Pac 12 play. And Oregon State had been playing significantly better the last few weeks than what they were like to start the year, but boy, this just did not feel like a, this is not how you wanted to end the year and go into tournament play. And on top of that, one of their best players was unavailable. Yeah. I think that it felt kind of like a rough Sunday, even before the game started, to be honest, I arrived at Matthew and arena and I, you know, a precursory glance, it looked like everyone was available. I actually tweeted that everyone was available and, and go ducks.com's Rob Mosey. Maybe I shouldn't be, uh, mentioning the fact that I missed it, but turns around and goes, Hey, you might want to take another look. And sure enough, I, as I look off to the side, Tahina Papel's in a walking boot. Um, and that really sort of set the tone for the day. And then I think, you know, it plays a role certainly in the outcome here. And then this was actually a game where Oregon played pretty well offensively. Um, this defensively, they were terrible. Uh, you know, I mean, Oregon state shoots 50% from the field. They hit so pretty. I mean, their shooting numbers are really impressive for, for the Beavers. They score 88 points. Oregon is a team which defensively had been playing really well for a while, but they allow 50% shooting against the Beavers, 11 for 20 from three, and then get this, 23 of 24 from the foul line for Oregon State. Wow. Um, I mean, that's damn impressive free throw shooting. Uh, they had six different players in double figures. 
Um, five different players hit at least a three, four hit at least two. Um, Beavers put a clinic on really, really high quality basketball. It seemed like every look they took from three was wide open. Um, and I think the Ducks missing a pow pow offensively in terms of somebody who's a table setter only had five turnovers, which is a great number, but they missed her. And, and then in terms of the offense, like they just didn't, you know, sorry, in terms of the defense, they just didn't seem like they had anybody who could really stay with Aaliyah Goodman, Oregon State's um, senior guard. She had 20 points, eight for 13 from the field, four assists, zero turnovers. She was really strong in that game. Um, it's it's really kind of hard to sit that here. That feels like right there. That that like I don't even know where to go. It just feels like it's <laughs> yeah. it's tough to talk about. It was just a tough game and one that look we know we, we this this team has not been good. We've seen this. Yeah, uh, they they have had some ups and downs, but it really felt like this was one of those like really defining back breaking losses where personally, Eric, I wonder, do they win a game in the Pac-12? Like, what is their mindset going to be like? They're going to be in the NCAA tournament, but at the same time, like, are they a team that you can trust to win a game in either tournament? That's I, my I, point now. You know, here, here's, here's, here's what I'll say. I think the big reaction to me from the Oregon State loss was, okay, you know, you're in a pow-pow, so you factor into it. But to this point, they had been 13-0 or yeah, thirteen and 0 against teams not ranked in the top 10. You know, yep. that's the, the, the big three of, of – Stanford, UCLA, and Arizona, and, and three of those games were close. Three of them were blowouts. You talk about that, but the big stat had been, well, besides when they play these elite teams, they've taken care of business, and I don't have the margin pulled up in front of me exactly, but I think it was somewhere – it was close to 20 points per win in conference play outside, you know, of, of their 10 wins coming into this. And so I had kind of come into it going, this is going to tell us a little bit here. If they're able to just win again, and maybe they win in dominant fashion, that really says, you know, this team maybe just doesn't have that top gear, but boy – when they're playing against teams that are their talent or a little bit less talented, they take care of business. This one was a little bit alarming, though, because they go against a team they beat by 20 points in December, and they lose by 11. And frankly, it was a 17-point game midway through the fourth quarter. Um, looked like it might be headed to 20 the other direction. And, you know, Pal Pal's absence was big. She had 22 points career high against Oregon State the first time out. But I don't think it, her – I mean, her absence certainly hurts them. There's no doubt about it. She's probably their second or third best player. But this is still a game where I think Oregon has enough firepower to be able to win it. And the fact that they don't and that it's not a particularly competitive game at times in the second half is concerning. To your question about winning in the Pac-12 tournament, the game they'll play next will likely be against Oregon State again. Um, the 5-12 matchup, Oregon's the four seed. We knew that going in. They clinched it by beating USC. Um, the top three are, are, as you'd expect, Stanford, Arizona, and UCLA. UCLA kind of draws the short straw just spite because they played one fewer game than Arizona. But ultimately, it won't matter because those two teams should face each other um, in the semifinals. But for Oregon here, they are 10-7. and seven. Oregon State is 7-6. and six. The Beavers will play California, who currently is 1-15 on the season, 1-12 in conference play. That is a gimme game for the Beavers. Beaver's probably actually not a bad thing to get a game in beforehand in terms of just getting your, your feet wet in a new, a new spot, getting used to the court and all that. The Nets, I think that sometimes helps. And Oregon badly needed – I mean, I'm, I almost feel like if you're Oregon, you'd rather almost be the five seed than the four seed just to go get a, a warm-up game against Cal. Get your feet up. Get some confidence. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, kind of, but they don't. And they're going to probably be playing Oregon State Thursday at 11 a.m., a pretty early game. Um, and this will tell us a lot. If they can come back and win this game, 
then I feel like, hey, yeah, maybe they'll have some momentum. Maybe they probably won't beat Stanford the next time out. If they do beat Stanford the next time out, that totally changes the trajectory, right? If they go beat Oregon State, Stanford, who cares what happens against assuming probably UCLA, Arizona championship game? They show they could beat these teams. But I think there's a, you know, I think there's a, a distinct possibility, I hate to say this, that they lose to Oregon State back-to-back games to finish this up. They go from being a couple weeks ago a three seed in the, in the NCAA tournament to maybe falling to like a five or a six seed just because they haven't won very many games of late. And then you put yourself in a spot of, are they going to be a one and done in the NCAA tournament? Could, could, could they be susceptible to being upset? Is there just something kind of mentally wrong? I think these are the questions you start to have to ask because this is a team here who, hey, not that long ago was looking like they could still maybe compete for a conference championship, but got, got into this stretch here after sweeping the Washington schools on January 24th. They play UC Davis in a, you know, a short kind of shortly scheduled non-conference game. Looked okay there, but then to go, Three, three losses to top 10 teams, beat USC by 24, and then lose to Oregon State by 11. This is certainly certainly not the spot you wanted to be in coming down the stretch of the season here. And I, I think you have real, real concerns. And even though you had some, you know, I think some positive things from Sunday in terms of Sedona Prince scores 22 points, he showed some stuff. Um, you finally got Taylor Mike, Mike Sell and Aaron Bowley to both have some decent shooting days despite all of that. It just doesn't – I think there's a lot of things to be concerned with going into this conference tournament, and the Ducks have a lot to get sorted out in a short time. And I just kind of wonder if, if what we've seen this season is kind of what they are, and you get into this and think this could be a pretty quick postseason run. It might be literally just two or three games for the Ducks. I, could, I, I hate to say that because I kind of felt all season this team had the upside and talent to make a push, but it's kind of almost feeling like on the men's – on the football team side – where we, hey, we get this optimism when they played really well and they, they could compete with some teams or beat some teams. But maybe what they really are is what we see when they're struggling in losses. And that comes to, you know, comes to a foot more when we get into NCAA tournament play. I, 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 I hate to say that, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. The Pac 12 women's basketball tournament begins March 3rd in Las Vegas at the Michelob Ultra Arena. Uh, the first game of the entire tournament will be. At 11 a.m. Pacific time, number 12 seed, California, taking on five seed, Oregon State winner. Uh, will be That game will be on Pac-12 Networks, and the winner will advance, like Eric said, to a quarterfinals Thursday, March 4th game at 11 a.m. against Oregon. Uh, and then the winner of that game will advance to the semifinals Friday. Uh, the game will be played at 5 p.m. Pacific time, March 5th. Uh, and then the, I believe that the change this year is the women's side, the tournament's championship game is now on Sunday instead of Saturday. Yeah. Um, the game has been moved. So that if you advance to the championship game and get a day of rest on Saturday and the championship game is now March 7th, a Sunday game is set for 5 PM Pacific time game will be on ESPN too. Um, Eric odds, probability confidence level let whatever you want to use your your feelings on Oregon's chances of making it to the semifinals I'm not even going to ask you about the championship I mean it used to be last three years it was expect the Oregon to make it to that championship game and if they didn't pretty shocker Uh, are they even do you even feel confident they make it to the semis I think it's 50-50 proposition, and maybe I'm being a little bit optimistic. I mean, it, it just there's just no momentum right now. I mean, they, they beat USC, who's been not very good. 
you know, USC, eight and 10 in Pac-12, they're pretty middle of the road. They win that game by 24, and it kind of feels like, hey, maybe there's a sign of something to come, but you just didn't see enough against Oregon State. And I think, frankly, like, like I said a second ago, this kind of feels like maybe this is what they are. So I think it's 50-50 they win that game, and if they, if they do win that game, it's probably like a 5 to 10% chance that they're able to, to knock off Stanford in the, in the semis. You know, maybe I'm being a little bit too down, but I, I just think there's a, there was a lot on display that was not good in that Oregon State game. They, defensively, they were a step slow. They had a really hard time getting out on shooters. They basically nothing from perimeter shooting. It got better as the game went on. They ended up hitting six and 12, but there was a stretch there where they were just not even taking them. Um, you know, they pounded it down low and Prince and Sobley, Prince had a great game, but Sobley was four for 14 from the field. Honestly, like she misses 10 shots. I, I don't know if any of those were outside of five feet. She's probably been the team's, not probably, I would say she's been the team's best player this season, but she just really wasn't at her best either. So, I mean, if everything, if they get everything clicking, maybe, Maybe they can, maybe they can kind of get run here. I mean, there's obviously talent, but I feel like I, uh, the point I made earlier, I think, is true. It, it feels like what we what happened a little bit with the Oregon football team after they won against USC in the Pac-12 championship game, where, where we go, okay, we're going to kind of forget about what just happened against Oregon State and Cal, and say, hey, maybe this is the team they are, and then they go out and they play these teams that are are good or better than them or, or, or you know, on par with them. And they just don't have it. So I, I, I think I think it's it's hard to get real optimistic and excited about what Vegas is going to hold, and, and obviously what San Antonio would either. Now let's flip it to something positive, shall we? Let's um, do it. Yeah, <laughs> we probably should have gone. We should have gone men's basketball and then ended with the whimper, maybe just because. No, let's give let's give the listeners something positive to look forward to. We always want to end on a positive and not a negative. All right, you're so right. if you leave, Sorry, I'm E or I'm E or over here. <laughs> um, but we have to talk about the negative before we get to the positive, even from the men's side. Um, yeah. Oregon going into. A week ago today, the Ducks were riding high. Five-game win streak. We talked about it on the podcast after the win – or after the loss. Oregon got blown out by USC by 14, 72-58. They trailed by as many as 28 points in that game. Just purely awful performance. Um, it was probably a, a game in which uh, Oregon played their worst possible game. And for at least a half – USC probably played the best they've played all year. And in sports and in anything, really, sometimes that happens. Like, it's just not your day. And the person you're up against or the team you're up against, it's just everything goes well for them. I mean, how many times has Oregon had – like, I I go back to that 2017 home game against Arizona uh, where the Wildcats were pretty good. But literally, Oregon was chucking threes. Literally, you know, not even looking at the hoop and they were going in, they beat the Wildcats by 34. Oregon was not a 34 point, you know, better than than Arizona was that season. Um, They were better, but they weren't that good. Sometimes it goes against you, though. Um, But what we saw from Oregon the rest of the week to see them bounce back and win two straight games to now going into this week, winning seven of their last eight. They beat Stanford 71-68 a game in which it didn't start off well. Oregon shot one of eight from the field to open that game and then found themselves uh, roaring back and uh, they, they got the lead and then Stanford took it back in the second half and then Oregon completed the comeback for the win. Uh, and then on Saturday, they go to Berkeley 
And look, fans or no fans, this trip is always tough. It's always difficult. Uh, and it's it, it feels like it's almost three wins if you get a sweep um, in the Bay Area. And that's what the Ducks did. They beat California 74-63, uh, a career performance from LJ Figueroa, 14 rebounds, which is a career high for him. He had a season high in points, and he finished with 20 there. He also had five steals. He had one assist. He had just one turnover. He played 30 minutes. He shot nine of 13 from the field. Uh, he was Oregon's nomination for Pac-12 Player of the Week. I don't think he'll win it, but he was nominated. And this was the type of win that you needed where, you know, yes, Chris Duarte played 36 minutes. All five of your starters played at least 30 but Chandler Lawson got in for 15. Amari Hardy got in, or Lawson played 18. Hardy played 15. Jalen Terry played about five minutes. Uh, it really felt like this was the type of a win you needed after you just played five or four games o- over a stretch of about 10 to, to, to nine days. And now you go into this week where you have three games and seven where you needed a blowout win somewhere in this mix so that you didn't have to ex- use all your energy. Uh, and that's the next Scott. And now Oregon, ironically enough, we were talking after the USC game, Eric, the Pac-12 championship did not seem likely after that performance at USC. Well, USC lost twice. They lost at Colorado. They lost at Utah. And then Colorado also knocked off UCLA this past weekend and the Ducks go into this week controlling their destiny for a second straight Pac-12 championship. Yeah, it looks like Wednesday's game, assuming Oregon beats Arizona on yeah. Monday, Wednesday's game could be like a pseudo regular season championship game. Uh, I don't have UCLA schedule pulled up in front of me. I assume they might play today or tomorrow as well, Matt. They, they do not play until Wednesday. So they have a little, they have a couple days off, but they okay. have to travel. They have to go from the mountain schools. So they went to Utah first. Then they go to Colorado, and then they – I don't know if they go to, to L.A. for today and then come north or if they just directly fly to Oregon. But they have three straight road games, Mountain Schools to Eugene uh, to play on Wednesday, and then they end the year Saturday at USC. This is about as favorable of a situation Oregon could be. I especially think after – I mean, you think back to after they lost to Washington State beginning of – I was going to say this month, but we should note change in calendar, change in months here. It's, it's now March 1st. Um, but on February 4th, when they lose to Washington State, I think there was certainly a sense of like, boy, a lot of things going to have to, are going to have to break right for them to really be in this conference championship hunt. And they went out and, and won seven of uh, eight games during that span. Um, and you know, as you said, had a little help from a couple of teams beating up on each other. And, and now you look up, like you said, like, they win all three of these games. It's I and mean, they control their own des- destiny. They win all three of these games. It's theirs. Um, you know, I guess in theory, if they beat UCLA and lose to Arizona, Oregon State, maybe UCLA would have to. De- well, actually, no. Oregon would have the. Uh, they haven't played this year, have they? No, they've not played. Oh, that's so. right. That's the, I was trying to think. I thought they'd already beaten them once, but that's the that's the series that's gotten postponed like four times. Yeah, it gets really complicated because. Yeah, lay this out for me then. Every, I, was, every, I was trying to figure it out. <laughs> every team has played diff, a different amount of games. It's it's basically down to Oregon, UCLA, USC in that order. Um, you could maybe throw in Colorado 
the Buffs are a couple games back. They're going to need Oregon to lose basically every game, um, and they're also going to need uh, some help along the way from the teams above them with USC and UCLA. But it basically it's those three teams, Oregon, UCLA, USC, in that order. And I think that to make this the easiest possible understand way of understanding this, Oregon just has to win out because each team has played a different number of games. USC has played 18 right now. Uh, U- UCLA has played 17 in conference. Oregon has played 15 in conference. Uh, the Ducks will end up playing 18 conference games. The Bruins will end up playing 19 conference games and the Trojans will end up playing 19 conference games. And the way they're going to figure out the championship and who wins the title is who has the best winning percentage in conference play. And the only, I think the easiest way to explain this is Oregon has to win out. You win out, you win the league. There's, there's no arguing. There's no, well, there's a tiebreaker here. There's a tiebreaker there. And we, how do we figure it out? Oregon has the best winning percentage. They have the fewest losses if they win out in conference play. And that's basically the, the way to explain it. If they lose once to anybody, they're probably not going to win the league. Okay, Matt, I, I think one of the things that I've been wondering for a while here is I think you looked at this team and said, you've got your, your two kind of alpha players and Duarte and Amarui, and you feel like those two guys are, are really consistent and they're going to go out. This is, this is, we're talking about the women's team. The women's team have none of this. We have no idea from game to game who the top two players are, but for the, for the men's team all season, it's kind of been like, you expect Duarte and Amarui to be there. Of course, there have been games here and there where, or maybe one of them has not had their best outing, but like for, for the most part, those are kind of your go-to players. And it felt like they needed to get a third player just to be consistent. Feels like LJ Figueroa, especially in these last two games on the road, yes. um, really kind of stepped up and filled that spot. Um, you mentioned the rebounding and the way he played there, 20 points. But even against Stanford, I thought he had some moments there where he kind of felt like, okay, he's really, really come in and found himself. And, um, does it feel like they have is, – is that the established hierarchy, that it's Duarte, Amarui, and Figueroa? And then what do we make of Will Richardson? Because I feel like he's kind of been hovering there as sort of the wild card of, boy, if he gets it going, he's gonna, this is going to get really special. But he's had a couple moments early on since he returned. I think he had almost 20 against Washington. But for the most part, he's been pretty up and down. And then three-point shot, which was, gosh, he shot the lights out of it last year hasn't been there yet. And it's not stunning given the injury he's coming off of anything that their hands, not great, but do, are you saying things, at least signs there that are encouragement from, from Richardson? Let's start with Figueroa first. He is, I think the linchpin for Oregon being truly elite or not. Um, and games that he has scored in double figures, Oregon is 10 and three on the year. Um, and games in which he has scored 15 or more points, they haven't lost. They're five and zero. And I, I truly think if he's playing like the Ducks got from him on Saturday against Cal, uh, Thursday against Stanford, and they get at the same time normal production from Chris Duarte and Eugene Amarui, you now have three guys that are bonafide scorers from all three levels of the floor. You have three guys who are good rebounders. You have two guys in Figueroa and Duarte who are just tenacious defenders at that press. And then Amarui is uh, a matchup 
nightmare on both ends. He can defend basically any position. He can guard and he can play any position for Oregon, really. And you've got three really good passers. So I think for Oregon, it's, hey, how can we get some contain, some sustained success with LJ Figueroa, Chris Duarte, and Eugene Marie playing together at the same time and playing well at the same time together? If they do that, I don't think there's a team in the league that's better than them. I don't think there are a lot of teams nationally that can match up with Oregon. Um, and then you factor in, like you said, the Will Richardson and Eric Williams deal. Um, Eric Williams is, is kind of getting back into gear from his injury. Will Richardson now has played uh, in nine games for the Ducks this season, and he's been up and down. I mean, he started off really good his first three, 10 points, five assists, six rebounds against Washington State, a game in which they lost 74-71. Played really well against Washington. He had 19 and five against ASU. He had 15 points. Um, his shooting was pretty good. The second two of those three games, the first it was bad, two of nine. Um, and then he had a, a low performance against USC against Arizona, scoring with four. But he had four assists. He had five rebounds. He had just two turnovers. And then he bounced back well against Colorado with 11 points. Played solid against Utah with nine and two assists and two rebounds. But the last three games, he's he's been off a little bit. Two of eight from the field against USC. One of seven from the field against Stanford. Three of five from the field against Cal. So a, a little bit of a bounce back there. He had three assists as well. He did have four fouls. He didn't have any turnovers. He had seven points against Cal, but... The last three games, he has 15 points, he has six assists, and he has two turnovers, and he's not shooting at a high clip. He, he's he's made one three in the last three games. He's attempted seven of them. He's only attempted four free throws, and he's only made two of those. Uh, and his shooting performance is not good. He's six of 20 from the field. Um, that is a concern. And so if if – you're Oregon and you don't get a good production from LJ Figueroa. If he goes back down a little bit and you combine that with this slide that Will Richardson's going through, then I get a little concerned. If Will keeps doing what he's doing or even just marginally improves and they still get LJ Figueroa playing at a good level, I'm not as concerned about that. But if both guys dip down, that, that gets concerning. Now, the one positive is that Eric Williams is starting to get back from his own injury. And he missed – he had COVID. He also – or I shouldn't say he had COVID. He was, he was out because of COVID protocols and then also had an injury that kept him out of some games as well. But he's now had you know three straight games where he's, he's played pretty well. He only had five points – against Cal, but he, he had four rebounds. He had one assist. He did a lot of dirty work that didn't show up in the box score. And then against USC, he had 14 and nine against Stanford. He had 10 and six. And this is what makes them so good is you have your three superstars. I, I, I like to look at them as in, in Duarte, Figaro and Amarui. Ideally all three play well at the same time. And then if you just get solid production from Richardson Eric Williams, or even just 
Chandler Lawson, one of those three guys, if they also play good, you're going to be one of the better teams. You're probably going to beat any team in the Pac-12. And so that's my goal is keep your top three playing at a high level and figure out a way to get one of those other three guys, Lawson, Williams, and Richardson, playing up a level to go with those first three, and you're going to be set. Wrapping up the thoughts on Figaro, I was just looking at the three-point shooting. 20 for 38 over the last seven games. That's 53%. He's made multiple threes in all but one of those games. Um, that that component, I think, from Figaro has been significant. And, and yes. you know, we, we wanted to see what this team looked like when they were close to full strength. They're getting there. I think the next step would be to see either Williams or Richardson be a little bit more consistent, um, maybe offensively. But maybe you don't need that. Maybe you can get enough out of Duarte – Amaruri and a Figueroa can be 13 to 15 a game, um, hit the big shots, rebound and, and, and play defense the way he has. Maybe, maybe that's kind of enough. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe and in a perfect world, you like to see all these guys firing on all cylinders and, and that's what you need to make a deep run in March probably. But I mean, this team has proven that it can win games with just three, two and a half to three of these guys really playing at their, at their best. Yeah, it'd be it'd be fun to see a game where it just all clicks, and, and maybe we'll see that this week or, or sometime down in Pac-12 tournament. What, like, and I, I know it's, it's interesting because we recorded this after the USC game last week, and the the mood was a little different, right? And we talked about that, and talked about what kind of the ceiling is from a seeding perspective, what the ceiling is from a half, kind of make a deep run perspective. How have things changed? I know it's two wins. I know it's Cal and Stanford who aren't exactly at the top of the Pac-12 standings. I mean, Stanford's. 10 and nine, which is respectable. Cal is his last three and 17 that not been very competitive this year. Um, and, and either men's or women's, we should know Berkeley's not exactly a hotbed for basketball the last couple of years, but wh- wh- where's your head at right now in terms of projecting kind of what this team can be first, I guess, in the Pac-12 tournament and then in the NCAA. Well, right now, I think Oregon over the longevity is probably playing the best basketball. I mean, they've won seven of their last eight games. Like that, that's pretty remarkable. That's a pretty good run. That's what you want to be on. Um, I think Colorado, though, is probably the hottest team going into the season. Um, Oregon is currently sitting here, or the Buffs have won three in a row Oregon State, USC, UCLA. They have a game against Arizona State set for the fourth. Um, they've lost two games at Cal, which is a bad loss. They also lost at Oregon, um, which isn't a bad loss. Huge for Oregon. Uh, and prior to those two, they'd won three more games in a row. So they've won six of their last eight. So Oregon has is, is won seven of their last eight. Colorado has won six of their last eight. And they've done back-to-back. They have probably the two biggest wins over that same stretch, uh, USC and UCLA, but both were at home. So I, I think those are two, the two hottest teams in the league. And right now, probably if you asked me who was going to win the conference tournament, I would probably pick Oregon or Colorado. I think they are probably the two better teams. I, I think UCLA is good, but without Chris Smith, he's hurt. He's out for the year. He was their best player. They don't have that like guy that just takes over games anymore that you just truly fear. Um, they've got a couple guys that put up good numbers, but they don't have the, the reason UCLA is good is because their depth. 
they don't have the superstar, but their bottom of the bench is a lot better than most people's. Um, they can throw out seven, eight, nine guys and feel really confident. There's very little drop off between any of them. There's just no superstar. I don't think USC is as good as they've projected themselves to be the last couple of games. Um, I think the USC Oregon game was uh, above average from, from what we've seen from both teams uh, or below average from, from an Oregon perspective. And I think if Oregon plays USC 10 times, they probably win six of those times. Um, I don't think USC is that much better than Oregon. If I don't even think they are better than Oregon. Um, it, it's kind of tough, tough to say that because the data I have is a 14 point loss in favor of USC. Um, but that's here nor there. And I still believe if these two teams play again, Oregon wins. Um, I think Colorado and Oregon right now are, are probably the two teams to win the league. I probably would gravitate towards Oregon being slightly better than, than Colorado. Um, it'll be interesting. We'll learn a lot about Oregon this week. I think, you know, I, I said a couple of weeks ago when they announced this schedule, Oregon's either going to be the hottest team in college basketball going into tournament play or conference tournament play, or they're going to be dead because uh, they're not going to have any legs because of how many games they've played. Um, we're halfway through it. We'll see what happens. I, I do think from a tournament NCAA tournament perspective, if this continues to project as, as it has, and Oregon keeps winning, they're probably going to be in that six, maybe five seed range and will be in a position where they can make a run and, and with the matchups, right? Where they're playing in that second week of the tournament. It's funny talking about the men and the women both kind of maybe have similar seed projections. If they, if, if we kind of project out and how we think the rest of the regular season or, or, or postseason might go, like if we think the women are to lose to Oregon state, they're probably a five or six seed. If the Oregon men stay hot and, and complete regular season play the way we think they can, they make a run in the PAC 12 tournament. Maybe they win that they probably move themselves up to a similar seed line. But I think for both for the two programs, like the, I think the, the expectations and kind of what we think about their likelihood of having success in the NCAA is really different right now, just because, the Oregon women are kind of, I mean, I hate to say this, but they, they don't have a whole lot propping them up other than they played in the top conference. And before losing to Oregon State, they just hadn't lost anybody that was not like one of the elite teams. Whereas the men have had to, have, I mean, the men have a better win percentage. They are a much better stretch here down the street. I mean, they've finished the season a lot better than what the women have done. So I think it's kind of interesting looking at those two programs. During the year, obviously, the women had, I think, they had similar aspirations, both programs did, but because of what the women uh, had been the last couple of years there were there was maybe a little higher expectations but as the season has gone through the Oregon men I think have really solidified themselves as the team that that can make a deeper run and I think that was a question we had posed to each other or maybe we had had posed from us uh, from a, a poster on a mailbag I forget which of just like which team do we think has the the, the talent to make a deeper run in March and I think right now um, at the very start of March I think it's pretty clear you feel better putting your your betting chips into the Oregon men's program basket than the women. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, I, this last stretch, three games at home against Arizona at home against UCLA on the road at Oregon state, it could set up where Sunday night, everyone's waiting on, on what happens in that game where we find out who wins the league. I mean, USC and UCLA could play They play Saturday and everything could be set up where it's Oregon goes in and they win and they're champs. If they lose the Bruins and the Bruins are USC's elite champs. 
And we should also note that Oregon State has had Oregon's number the last five or six games that they've played. Um, I, I, I am off, off the top of my head here. There's been so many games, I can't remember all the stats that mixed together. But I think the number is something like OSU has won five, I think, of the last seven games against Oregon in basketball on the men's side. So Oregon could be going into a place against a team that they haven't played well against the last couple of years, having to win to win the league. Now, it's going to be really fun to see how this all plays out. I'll say that. I'm with you. I, I, I think the just the way this year has gone, it would feel really – I feel it, this feels like a, a group that would be deserving of a finish like that, and, and uh, we'll just kind of have to see if, what they have in their legs here. It's going to be a really big test the next couple – I mean, really the rest of the way. It's basically tournament setting in terms of the, the frequency of games from here. Can they, can they handle that? When does that catch up to them? Does it? Um, that's kind of that's kind of the stuff I think you have to kind of consider and kind of worry about now as as we get to the the heart of this. It's gonna do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, we will have the mailbag later this week. We will also have a recruiting podcast. We'll also dive into our position reviews from the 2020 football season. A little bit more on there. Uh, so plenty to look forward to here. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.